Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know that I'm working with a new insurance provider. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out more. I started talking about insurance with my clients maybe a year or so ago, and I was so surprised, to be honest, when we started going through things and talking to people and they'd say, yeah, our healthcare in the United States costs us $22,000 a year. I was like, whoa. That is unbelievable. Actually, by being an expat, not only can you reduce your cost of living because your rent or your mortgage is less and and food is less and transport is less, but also your insurance is less. So if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out what I'm talking about. They have worldwide coverage if you're an expat or a digital nomad, so you can actually travel with the insurance. It's going to cover you around the world, and you can probably expect to pay maybe a third maybe a quarter of what you're paying now. And I mean, me and my family are on this program and we get inpatient, outpatient, full drug plan, zero deductible, dental, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really like a platinum level plan and it's all included in this. So if you guys are living overseas, even if you have insurance right now, you might want to look at changing. I'm really stoked to be working with this company and all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. That's it. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the founder of Undervalued Shares, which serves as an inspiration and research source for other investors. At just 46 years old, he has over 31 years of experience in the stock market. Unbelievable. His approach has always been to look at the entire world and to pick the best investments for himself and his readers, focusing on easy-to-invest opportunities, DIY investing, and community. Please welcome to the show Sven Lawrence. Sven, how are you? Hi, Mikkel. I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to speak to you. Well, my pleasure to have you here. You know, you and I have been friends for probably going on two years now. We've talked back and forth on the phone over and over and over again, a thousand and one emails, but I've never had you on the show before. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. I want to learn from you. I know the topic is going to be about Russia and investing in Soviet Union stocks. But before we get into those things, why don't we take a minute and kind of go through your backstory? Yeah, love to. So I've been investing, as you mentioned, since I was 15. I was one of those weird kids who skipped high school to go to shareholders meetings, which I got into a little bit of trouble for, but that was very much what set me off into my career because at these shareholder meetings, I asked questions uh, and and very difficult questions. And one journalist from from a stock market publication in Germany noticed me and he thought, hey, that's an interesting kid here. And he took a liking to me and offered me some money if I started to freelance write for him. And that set me off because, you know, making money at an early age for writing was amazing and it taught me a lot. And from there, I never looked back and I've I've been doing this ever since. Wow. When I was a teenager, I was working in like farms and like grocery store and babysitting and stuff like that. And you were doing financial reporting as a teenager. Mind you, mind you, I was doing something similar as well. I worked in a local mail order company during high school as well, where I was in the department where all the crap got returned, basically, when people were unhappy. And that taught me a lot about customer service. And I made the money that I used to invest in the stock market. Well, there you go. 
Okay, so let's let's slow down a little bit because you know we've covered your backstory in about one minute. So, what brought you to kind of like the international space? Because you don't just invest in you know European stocks or just American stocks. I mean, actually, you kind of look at the entire world. Where did your interest for internationalization come from? It's interesting that you ask that because everyone always thinks I made this conscious decision or something in particular drove me to look at the entire world. I kind of did this by default and by instinct. And I was lucky enough to be born in the right country for that because in Germany at the time, somehow there was always huge interest among German investors in investing into international stocks, which is kind of the opposite of the home bias that you find in most other countries, notably for a long time in, in the United States. And German brokerage firms always made it very easy to buy stocks around the world. This is pretty much, you know, when I say I, I got lucky, I was just born in a place where that was easy, even back in the 90s. And I guess the most interesting publications at the time, newsletters, this was before, obviously, before the time of the internet and blogs and, and these sorts of things. The most interesting publications were published by weirdos in interesting jurisdictions, you know, basically people like you, but 30 <laughs> years ago. And I started reading and subscribing to them. And that set me off on this journey. I, I, nothing was planned. It just happened to me. And the world's an interesting place. And once you start looking beyond the borders of your own country, as you will know more than anyone else, you know, you never look back. So do, would you consider yourself one of us weirdos now? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a 100% I'm a weirdo. <laughs> and I actually once wrote an article um, that, you know, I don't want to in invest in something if I don't have at least a few of my friends call me a weirdo or a nutcase or something. Because I like to be a contrarian. I like to be ahead of the curve. And if everyone praises you for your wisdom, then you're just merely going with the crowd and you're part of the groupthink. And I think that's that's not particularly good as an investor. Well, I would agree with you because, I mean, contrary investing, all right, you're not going to hit a home run every single time. But often when you do, the returns are well above anything else because as people find out about it, the returns kind of shrink. I mean, that's normal. You really have to be an outlier to look at a lot of these types of projects. And I mean, in my career, that's certainly what I do. I'm not investing in traditional projects. I mean, and that is kind of our topic for today. I'm sure most people who are listening today have never thought of or considered investing in Eastern Bloc, in former Soviet um, countries in Russia, in any part of the world over there, because they've been spooked by it. I mean, there's been propaganda against it for, well, basically our entire lives. And they're thought of as evil and bad and wrong. And actually, they're not. I mean, they're human beings. And just like everyone else in the world, and there's opportunities and there's potential for loss. But that's why you need to be informed and do your research and look at things with a little bit more clear head. Yeah, and there's a very important thought that I think I should slip in and, and fitting in right with what you just said or adding to it. There's this general perception that by investing abroad and, and looking beyond your, the borders of your own country, you take additional risks. And it's the opposite, really. In this episode, we want to speak, among other things, about Russian equities. And that was long perceived to be a very dangerous and scary place because it's Russia and there's Vladimir Putin and all that sort of stuff. And the truth is, and you know, looking back now at the past two years of having been invested in Gazprom, which is a particular Russian stock that I've always loved and that I've been beating the drum for, two years ago, you could just simply buy Gazprom at a ridiculously low price, so low that I think the investment risk was a lot lower than if you had bought anything you know, closer to home. And for me, Investing is primarily about minimizing the risks that you take while looking for opportunities that have considerable upside. First and foremost, I don't want to lose money. And being a bit of a global investor or having a more international outlook helps me to manage risk and to minimize risks. And I think this is probably what your what your listeners are also looking for in a in a more personal capacity. I mean, I mean, with regards to their personal life and how they structure their life with regards to taxes, which is the classic example, but also the education of their children and lifestyle and the joy they get out of life. There are many reasons for it. And I, I just, I'm fundamentally against being apologetic about 
looking further afield. It's not risky. It's not scary. It's about maximizing the opportunities for you. And, you know, I mean, you and I, we've talked about this so many times. We're, we're, I'm preaching to the converts already in a way, but it, it, one has to repeat it over and over again because it's such an important point. Well, I remember reading a book by Bill Browder oof, many years ago where he talked about his adventures of investing in Russia and what happened and what happened with Putin and everything like that. And I read that thinking, it, it does seem a little bit scary. I mean, there's probably, what, a 20-year gap between his work there and, you know, as we're having this conversation today. But maybe we can get into why people have these perceived fears of this entire area. Well, it's probably just, first and foremost, a human fear of the unknown. If you've traveled a lot, then you realize by going to other countries, a lot of things are very different. And if you go somewhere where you don't speak the language, you're not familiar with the culture, things are just simply done in a different way, then this makes you feel very vulnerable and you you are all the more cautious. And, and that is entirely justified because you also must be careful not to be taken for a ride by people who are just waiting for gullible Americans or gullible Germans to turn up on their doorstep and, and you know, be readily fleeced by them. But I think as the world becomes more and more connected and as there are services such as yours and, and folks like me writing about international investing and people find it a lot easier to travel further afield and stay in Airbnb apartments in a residential neighborhood instead of just being in the Hilton Hotel where you're in your little bubble and you haven't really left your home country. I think that's all gradually changing and that's also where the opportunity lies for investors because in many countries that are currently deemed exotic or risky or whatever you want to call them, the valuations for investments are still a lot lower. But gradually, if you look at this from a decade to get to decade perspective, they are gradually moving up. They're catching up because the world is getting more, you know, samey. It's like everything's moving closer together. And this is this is part of the story there. And that's why I'm always telling people, you know, it's it's be cautious and follow your instincts. But don't let this stop you from exploring and venturing out into the world because there's so much to miss. And I would add to that as well, this perspective. I mean, for a Canadian or for an American, investing in Russia, investing in even Germany might seem exotic. But I mean, if you're born and raised in Germany, well, that's not exotic at all. That's your backyard. Same thing if you're born and raised in Russia. I mean, that's where you grew up. That's the things that you understand. It's only perspective. It's just how you look at it. The more we educate ourselves and understand foreign markets, the better off we're going to be and the less scary it will be because I think it really does come down to education. Yeah, and since you just mentioned that example, so in Russia, there has also been a little bit of a retail investor revolution in the last two years. Millions and millions of Russians have discovered the stock market for themselves. And what are they buying? Brand names that they're familiar with. The Russians also have a a special part of their of their domestic stock market where they could actually easily buy American stocks. Facebook and all of these, you know, big tech companies, all of their stocks are also traded on the St. Petersburg Stock Exchange. It's very easy for Russians to buy them. But what do they go for? They go for the brand names that they know from their supermarket, from going to the bank, from, you know, taking airplanes, from just everyday life. We all have that perception. And the Russians will think of their companies as a lot safer than these American companies. <laughs> and I can only ever tell people travel and speak to locals, stay with locals, avoid hotels of international hotel chains, just get that international perspective and your, your mind will be blown away and you will have a very different life as a result. Well, that makes sense. So before we jump into kind of some of the projects or even your methodology for investing, maybe we can talk a little bit about the New York Stock Exchange, about the FANG stocks, about these types of things. Why would someone maybe not want to invest in those types of things? It starts with their valuations, really. I mean, you look at how highly these companies are valued. And if you compare this to the level of interest rates that we've got right now, which is close to zero and which really only has one way to go up now that inflation is rearing its head again, these stocks will be very sensitive to changes in, in interest rates. And there's obviously this epic struggle going on right now involving politicians, central banks, all the usual interest groups who are desperate to keep interest rates low because they've piled up all this debt. And if interest rates rose, you know, they would all go bust, basically. 
But now suddenly consumer prices are going through the roof. We all know this. They're trying to keep this problem somewhat um, covered up by basically manipulating the consumer price indexes, but everyone's catching on to it. The financial markets are, everyone's talking about potential stagflation right now. That is stagnation and inflation. That's the number one subject. And these FANG stocks, which, which I love and I have absolutely nothing against, and they've been a great investment, but they're very vulnerable. And Amazon is already, a, is Amazon worth 1 trillion or 2 trillion by now? I, I've lost track. It's, it's you know. They're numbers that my brain cannot get my head around. Like, I mean, I just. Yeah. And you just simply, you look at the size of the world economy and you do have to say, how much further does Amazon have to go? You know, it's not like Amazon will be running the entire planet. And that's why I'm saying don't make any rushed or extreme decisions. There's no reason for anyone to completely dismantle their portfolio and shift everything to foreign countries. But diversify and educate yourself about different opportunities. And the number one example, as we are recording this very much, is is energy stocks, for example, in Russia, which have had a great run recently simply because of what's been happening in the energy markets. And that was entirely predictable. They were the cheapest companies around in the in the uh, oil and gas space. They're paying massive dividends. They're actually well, the, the governance standards of them is actually much better than their reputation. And lo and behold, Gazprom is up about, I'd say, almost three times since, since 12 months ago. And, you know, did Amazon go up three times in the last 12 months? I, I haven't checked, but I, I doubt it. And it just goes to show there's all sorts of opportunities out there and you diversify. So if something goes wrong with, for example, interest rates, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. You don't just want to hold the fang stocks. Well, definitely, I want to speak about diversification in a second. But what you just said really made a lot of sense to me because, I mean, even your brand, your your website is all undervalued, undervalued shares. So when I think about Google and Amazon and all these other fang stocks, I mean, that's not the first word that comes to mind is undervalued. Actually, it's probably overvalued. I think that there's so much money sloshing around in there. It's difficult to say what's going to happen. And as a side note, if anyone is interested today, Sven is very nice. He's prepared something really special for my listeners. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued, you're going to be able to pick up a special report by Sven there. It's completely free of charge. So I hope that you guys uh, take us up on this offer and have a close look at it because there is a lot of really exciting things happening. But anyways, as I was saying, FANG stocks are... I would argue, quite overbought, not underbought, not undervalued. Do you agree with this statement? Do you think that they're comparable, the the major stocks in the U.S., to anything else in foreign that we might be able to understand? Oh, they're completely overbought. And my number one indicator for this is I, I follow a lot of hedge funds. Uh, hedge funds generally run by relatively smart people, uh, at least the larger ones, and all of them publish regular investor newsletters, some of which are very difficult to get hold of, others are easier to get hold of. I, I collect them and I methodol- quite systematically go through them. And it is astounding to me how many large, successful hedge funds basically have loaded up on FANG stocks in their portfolio, where you have to say, why am I paying 2% annual management fees to these guys and performance fees? Because that's like the most obvious and easiest to buy investment that I could just simply do myself without buying to these funds and paying all these fees. And you look at these investor newsletters from funds across the board, they've all got Google, I mean, Alphabet, as it's now called, uh, Amazon, Facebook, etc. So everyone is in there. And that is just the classic indicator that, <laughs> I mean, we've been saying this for a while, admittedly, but we've got to be near the top somehow. This is not going to go on forever. Okay, so let's let's dive into diversification because this is something that I hammer home, I mean, on a daily, weekly basis in my program and in my newsletter at expatmoneyshow.com. How do you view diversification? I give you a very current example and one that you and I actually discussed and, and, and put in front of your, your audience recently. Everyone is exposed to political risk these days. We live in very political times, hyper-polarized. Everything's very divisive, difficult to talk about certain subjects, et cetera, et cetera. And political decisions currently do have quite significant impact on markets, on individual stocks, on individual sectors. And when you and I spoke, when was that, maybe two or three months ago, I said, you know, look out for opportunities in the Argentinian fracking space. 
and as as your US readership and and followers will know, Joe Biden banned or or put a moratorium on additional um, fracking development in the United States. We're not going into the details of that. It was done. And as a result of that, that industry in the US is suffering. And at the same time, the Argentinians, who are sitting on one of the world's largest shale energy reserves, they've said, well, thank you very much, because that means there's a lot of equipment available in the United States. There are even companies in the United States with excess capital that they wanted to invest in this space, but now have nowhere to invest because they've basically been banned from doing that. And what's happening, that equipment and this capital is now flowing into Argentina. And I introduced an Argentinian fracking energy stock to my to my readership and, and by extension to your followers. And that's up very nicely recently on the back of rising energy prices and of, dare I say it, probably a relatively silly decision in the United States because, you know, stopping fracking in the United States will not stop it worldwide. It will just simply be done elsewhere and someone else is going to make the money. And if you are an American who just takes this lying down and you, you just simply accept it, then, you know, you're not having these investment opportunities in that space anymore and you're paying more for petrol at the pump and a more international orientated investor might say okay i might not be able to avoid paying more for petrol at the at the pump station in in pennsylvania or in california but at least i can put my money into an argentinian fracking related company which is listed on the new york stock exchange very easy to buy and it's up very nicely and it's benefiting from that and that's what i see as global diversification you just the sun is always shining somewhere, you know, it's like with people traveling, they go where, wherever it's warm that time of the year. And it's the same with investing. You just want to be in the space, uh, in, in, in the geographical space or in the industry where the sun is shining at that time. And you want to be, you know, not in the, in the cold Canadian winter, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know if you ever, you know, did you stay up there for the cold Canadian winters? You probably ran away from that as well, right? I did. I did when I was like a teenager, when I was about 16 or 17, I think I got out of there. No more of that for me. But no, I mean, you are, you are a hundred percent right. I mean, I think that the energy crisis going on in the United States is something that we all need to be aware of. It is something that we need to look at. I mean, this episode is not a political, well, the show is not a political show by any means. And I don't really care what side of the aisle you sit on. But I mean, Biden's decisions have repercussions and have impact around the world. And, and we're feeling that in, in many cases. I mean... Once again, this is not a comment on right, wrong, clean, dirty, anything like that. But I can tell you that there is money to be made in different types of energy and fracking being one of them. And if it is being moved to another country where they're welcoming foreign investment, I mean, the best thing that you can do is probably pay attention. I mean, start educating yourself, start learning about what's happening. Because, you know, wishful thinking and, and hope is not a good strategy or... Investing based just on your morals, although I do follow my moral compass very much, I mean, at the same time, I think it's my responsibility as a husband and as a father to maximize the returns from my portfolio. And if that is in fracking, if that is in coal, if that is in nuclear power, if that is in many other things that get a bad rep on mainstream media, well, so be it. Yeah, and always keep in mind, and, and you would know this, I know this from our previous discussions, always keep in mind that there's always two sides to each coin. And one person who is against fossil fuels for environmental reasons will you know, have to have a legitimate argument with another person who says, well, most of the world is too poor to afford other forms of energy. And if you switch off fossil fuels and you're basically starving these peoples of their development opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. These are very complex cases. And my philosophy there really is, you know, be aware of politics and make sure that it doesn't affect you too negatively, but also simply be realistic about not everyone will agree with you. And we're here to invest money, be successful, create our lives, care for our families, take care of our retirement, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it's really about. You know, we're, we're not waging election battles here on this show. No doubt. Well, I mean, I, I recently got involved with 1018, which is a nonprofit based out of Uganda. I mean, one of the poorest, poorest, poorest countries in the world. I'm so sorry, but expecting them to build their economy on solar power and wind and these types of energy sources is just not reasonable. It's not how 
I mean, G8 countries built their countries and their economies. I think it's, it's quite unreasonable to expect the developing world to do this. And literally, people are starving there. So think about this before, you know, throwing stones at others on, you know, the damage that's done to the planet and everything like this. Anyways, I digress. Back to investing. Let's finish up with Argentina and then let's dig into Russia a little bit more. Explain to us the, not the details, but I mean the, the progress that this has made since we brought this opportunity to our readership? Well, first and foremost, the stock price is up. It was at about $15 when we spoke about it, and today it hit $20. And I think, crucially, what's been happening is the media, for lack of a better word, has caught wind of it. And when I say the media, that includes everyone on the internet who's talking about this. Three months ago, four months ago, if you told anyone about investing in Argentina, they would have, again, you know, basically called you a weirdo to go back to the beginning of this show. And I took that as a good indicator because it showed to me that I'm onto something and I should investigate this further. And I analyzed this particular energy stock and I came to the conclusion that it's in the 1% of the world's cheapest stocks or Put the other way, 99% of all the stocks listed on markets around the world are more expensive than this one. And the changes in the energy price we've recently seen has changed the global narrative, the global conversation. Suddenly, more people have realized that we need to see some investment in fossil fuels before we can transform our economies at some point in the future into you know, to more renewable forms. And this change in narrative has basically led to renewed investor interest that has driven up the stock price. The company has advanced in the meantime as well, but you can't expect a miracle in, in just three months. The stock price has moved much faster. And that's really the main main development that we, we are we're in for because we want to see the price go up. Well, it was so interesting. After I sent those emails to my list, I actually got a couple of subscribers. I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular. This woman called me a vulture. You are a vulture for going in there and buying up Argentinian assets at a discount. These poor, poor people. And I was like, I don't quite think you understand how economics work. Most countries are actually looking for foreign investments. This actually helps create jobs where the stock is already out there. I mean, in the world, I mean, there's there's that. And by investing in it, you're not actually harming people. You're, you're bringing awareness. You're doing good things for the economy. This is putting money into their economy. It's not the other way around. You're not taking, you're giving. It's just so interesting how people view things, um, especially around a hot topic like energy stocks. And then when you add crisis investing into it, I mean, people just have a whole host of, of thoughts and feelings and emotions and misinformation about these types of things. Yeah, I get reactions like that quite regularly, have to say. And that's because I do look at these kind of crisis-ridden countries on a, on a regular basis. It's not, you know, as you know, and, and I think this is important to mention for the, for the listeners of your show, it's not like I'm just looking at this kind of country. I actually also feature companies that are listed, um, U.S. American companies, um, sometimes tech stocks, growth stocks that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So as I said, I just look at this from a very global perspective. And Argentina happened to be this one country that I found where I thought, you know, stock prices are down 90%. And there are quality companies out there. And very, very importantly, there are CEOs and major shareholders of companies in Argentina who have been through this before multiple times. Argentina is a country with <laughs> an extraordinarily distinct cyclicality. It, it's just boom and bust down there. They really do boom and bust properly. And there are very much a, a whole number of companies that just exploit this cycle because they know this is happening every, make it every seven or 12 years in Argentina, depending on how you measure these things. And there are companies that are perfectly prepared for this. And speaking of this energy company, I mean, something that, you know, since you asked about progress, Something that's been going on in the meantime is that the company is buying back stock. It has excess cash. It's decided, the management decided, the stock is too cheap. Let's buy back as much as we can get of it. And extraordinarily, they've bought back over 20% of their stock over the last um, two years, which is, I mean, I, I haven't seen such a metric anywhere else yet. And um, it just, you know, it indicates yet again, these are extraordinary opportunities if you, if you make the effort to look at them. And it's not about being a vulture. It's about sending money where it has the highest return, which also means it does the most good. 
in many ways. Absolutely. Okay, we'll just take a quick break. Our Facebook group has hit over three and a half thousand members. Holy moly, how did that happen? You know, we started this about six months ago and I wasn't sure how I would like it. To be honest with you, I am not really a big fan of social media. I don't agree with a lot of the things that they do. I think that it can be a bit of a time suck, but in this case, I proved myself wrong. My forum, and our forum I should really call it, is amazing. There are so many cool people there. We've made so many new relationships, so many new friendships. It's a lot of interaction, a lot of engagement. People are asking questions every day. We're getting boots on the ground research done. I mean, if people are in Mexico or want to go to Mexico, there's people who are there who are talking about what the restrictions are like. Same with Panama and Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Argentina, Brazil. There's tons of stuff going on in Europe. There's people over in Romania and Georgia and Estonia, people in Portugal, moving to Portugal, moving to Spain. There's so much stuff going on there and it's back and forth, a ton of information and it's completely free to join. So I hope you guys check it out. It's at expatmoneyforum.com and join the conversation, expatmoneyforum.com. I'll see you guys in there. Let's jump back into the interview. And a side note for this one, I mean, we are not giving individual financial advice on this episode. It is still up to you guys to do all of your research and speak to a licensed professional for anything you want to do. If you do want to do the research and you do want to understand what we're talking about, if you didn't happen to pick it up, I think it is still available if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued. Then you guys can grab this report there. If it's still available, I'm, I'm not sure if it will still be out by the time this episode goes out. So make sure you move fast to grab that one. But do your research. I think it is really important to do your research, to look at it from multiple aspects, to actually get good world-class research, not just going to MN, uh, MSNBC or Squawk Box or something like that and following what the talking heads are saying. Because be, by the time they get their hands on something, I mean, usually most of the money has already been made if there was any money there in the first place. I think that a lot of that stuff is manipulated, but maybe that's a, a different conversation for today. I don't know. Absolutely. And usually when the mainstream media jumps on the bandwagon of something, I quite like to sell out because that's usually the indicator that a trend has run its course. Well, it reminds me of like, a what, what was the the advice from Peter Lynch? It's like, when you hear your taxi drivers start talking about the stock, you know it's time to sell. Absolutely. Yeah. And that has been, no, no truer word has ever been spoken in investment circles. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Let, let, let's circle back around to Russia. So what, what have you found there? What led you down this path first off? You know, what can you share with us about Russia and investing in Russia? So this really takes the conversation back to the name of my website, Undervalued Shares. If you looked at Russian stocks two, two and a half years ago, they were simply the cheapest on the entire planet. You could buy leading companies for a price earnings ratio of two or three, which was extraordinary. And back in the days, if you did actually look at Russian stocks, everyone will have probably told you, oh, Vladimir Putin is going to take the company away and all the money will be stolen. And in Russia, you don't actually own it. The company is basically, it's a bunch of alcoholics and their demographics are, you know, they're, they're dying out and it will all go to hell. And besides, there will be a war and whatnot else. I mean, you, you know, you name it, any, any bad scenario you could think of was mentioned in the context of Russia, besides the whole political angle that was going on at the time. And that, that continues to, you know, spook some people. But what's been happening in the meantime really went in two phases. Phase one was that suddenly the Russian retail investor started to come onto the scene like never before. Over the last 24 months, millions of Russians started to invest in the stock market. And of course, it's you know similar to the Robin Hood development in the United States. Technology has made it a lot easier for retail investors to buy and sell stocks. It's, it's also become a lot cheaper. Uh, the internet is providing a lot of information resources. And crucially, interest rates in Russia were also trending down. And people were just simply asking the question, where can I get the most return from my money? And let me let me turn this into a little bit of a quiz. So if I told you that there were, if I I created a list of the 40 Russian companies that paid the highest dividend, what dividend yield do you think would be paid by the lowest ranking company, by the company on the 40th spot <laughs> that is paying the worst dividend of them all? 
Well, in the U.S., you're getting like what 1.5 to three to maybe four percent. So I know that this is probably going to be considerably higher than you know a good return. Let's go with five、uh, percent or maybe six percent. Yeah, yeah, you're right on the on the target there. The the worst dividend yield on annual basis was six percent, and the top ten companies on that list all paid a dividend of above twelve percent, and. Some of these, so obviously you have to distinguish here between you know there are some good companies and there are some bad companies. Of course, of course, and once again, we're not giving in, and we're not telling you to run out there and put your life savings and sell your house and go buy this individual stocks by any means. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, my number one example is is, is Gazprom, the the world's largest gas company, and it's also the largest company in Russia. And I've basically been telling my readers for two and a half years that Gazprom is a company they should consider and research. So my my website is all about inspiring people to do their own research. I'm not giving specific investment advice. I'm just telling them here are some amazing resources. I've looked at them for you and read what I've written, and then come to your own conclusions and do your own research. And I continuously pointed out Gazprom, and even today. Now that we've already had this run-up in in the stock price, and everyone's talking about energy, Gazprom stock is still trading at a level where you get a 12% dividend yield if you invest now. And the readers of mine who bought this two and a half years ago, in retrospective, I mean, compared to what they paid at the time, they're now getting a dividend yield of above 25% per annum. And assuming energy prices are staying on the current level, or you know, they might even go up further. They will just keep collecting insane dividend checks going forward because it's a very simple product. You know, it's gas. It's it's not going out of fashion anytime soon, as Europe is discovering just now. They they do need fossil fuels to keep warm in winter. And I mean, since you mentioned、uh, a poor African country that you know can't be expected to convert to so-called renewable energy overnight, I mean, look at the Germans. They've been trying to convert to renewable energy for twelve years. It's an extremely rich country. It's, I would say, ideologically fired up about the idea. You know, no pun intended, but they just love doing this whole renewable energy stuff, and they still haven't managed to do it. And they're still relying on the Russians sending them more gas this winter to keep their homes heated. Never mind all the other stuff. And this is why I'm saying this is this is not a risky company. Going back to the beginning of this conversation, when I told people, look at Gazprom, it's extraordinarily cheap. It's trading at two and a half times earnings. Uh, they will change their dividend policy. The dividend will be a double-digit yield, and it's a product that they will probably continue selling for many, many years to come. Never mind the increasing sales to China. They've built a new pipeline to China. China is very energy-hungry. Gas is relatively green. You can burn gas off with, you know, a lot、um, less environmental effects than, for example, coal. So you know where is the risk in that, and that's what I've been saying all along. And I could tell you ten similar stories about other companies in Russia in different industries where it was pretty much the same story. And the markets have already moved up somewhat, but the Russian story is still as you know as relevant as as it's always been. And suddenly it's becoming a bit more fashionable again. Well, and then what is happening with Germany as you're saying this? I mean, last that I read, they were trying to. Take out all of their nuclear power plants, which I think is probably the dumbest idea in the entire world. Are they following through with that, or did that did the brakes get put on that? I'm holding my breath for that one. So right now it's hard to say because they just had an election and the government is forming and it's all somewhat up in the air. But one just has to say that the decision made in 2011 to switch off nuclear power in 2022, which of course at the time seemed a long time into the future, and you know no one ever worried about that. That was, I think, it,、uh, I, I'm trying not to get political here, but you know I think this was just one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen, combined with the fact that if you make the decision, you have to replace it somehow, and Germany is for for all its. Qualities and for all its existing wealth, it's not a fast-moving country anymore, and they just missed the boat on 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 building enough whatever else they wanted to build to replace these you know energy sources with. I don't know what's going to happen, but the extraordinary thing now is that suddenly Europe is talking about blackouts again, and we're in the year 2021, and you have some of the world's wealthiest and best-developed countries talking about blackouts. Austria has just had a huge national discussion and and planning 
exercise, what happens if the power goes out for more than three days? And they simulated stuff such as for three days, the police could keep order and thereafter all bets are off. And we're talking about Western Europe here, you know, which goes back to, you know, multiple other strands we had in this conversation, diversification, securing quality of life or securing sheer survival for yourself. There are suddenly risks coming back into play that we thought we would never see again. And here we are. And, you know, right in the center of Europe and, you know, the United States might have similar issues of a different kind, but, you know, similar. Um, we live in very, very uncertain times. And suddenly what we thought we knew for sure and what we could trust and believe in and count on, that may not be there anymore. And instead, coming to another important point, I suddenly have friends who tell me in all seriousness, I'm considering to move to Russia. <laughs> you know, this is extraordinary. This would have been deemed impossible. And admittedly, I haven't had anyone follow through on it yet, but a lot of people are suddenly looking at Eastern Europe which is, you know, on the on the doorstep to Russia. So countries that for a long time were not considered places anyone would want to migrate to are coming back into, I don't want to say come back into fashion, but at least some people who are probably ahead of the curve, they're looking at them now. And there are, you know, there's a whole mixture of different strands of conversation about lifestyle, investing, security, securing your future, chasing opportunities. It all comes together there. Well, Two comments on that. I have had friends move back to Russia. I've actually know that they're coming out with a Russian uh, residency by investment program. We're just looking, we're waiting for to see what the details will be. But I do think it's going to be a new safe harbor because of these mandates and restrictions around the world. Things are very different in that part of the world as the West becomes more and more strict, as we're seeing riots in the streets in France and in Italy and in Holland and Belgium and all these types of things. Actually, in Eastern Europe, in the Balkans and in Russia, actually, there's a lot less restrictions and people want freedom. Obviously, that's what this show is all about. So my listeners understand this very well. And they are moving. We're seeing massive amounts of capital flight, about human flight, and moving to these countries. Second thing, I remember... Ooh, a month or two ago, I put a, a comment out on Twitter, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I was like, hmm, I am so glad that I live in a developing country like Panama, where we have uh, power all day long, not like California. Because California, we've seen rolling blackouts, brownouts, I mean, where they've just been without power, where they can't use their water, where we've seen fires, and they say that the fires are because of global warming. No, it's because of mismanagement from the government. If they stop trying to control every single aspect and just let things happen naturally, calm down a little bit, we probably would not have all of these problems. And Panama, I have power 24 hours a day. It's very nice. I like power very much. I wouldn't be able to do this show otherwise. It's so terrible to think that, you know, the richest country in the world and, and supposedly the richest state and the richest country can't even get keep their lights on these days. We live in truly astonishing times and I even made the comparison or I, I tried to make my readers think about the question whether a country such as Argentina might not simply be ahead of the curve in the sense they've already experienced that crash landing and they're now picking themselves up, whereas the rest of us is heading into the tunnel, so to speak. And speaking in terms of cycles and opportunities and being where you know you get the most bang for the buck and the biggest opportunities, it may well be that in the 2020s, we have to completely readjust our thinking about which countries are safe, which countries are the places to be. And we may increasingly come to a conclusion that a place like Russia, of all places, is suddenly a country where you might have more personal freedom than in the so-called Western world. And I recently noticed, um, so I'm, I'm obviously, I'm a blogger. I, I write stuff on the internet. I sometimes write controversial things. And to tell you, a little story which which you may not even know in in 2016 already i said i'm not going to be on social media at all because i saw the first signs of censorship on social media and i've, I've always said once there's some social media censorship the genie is out of the bottle it will only get worse um so i want to have full control over my website and i don't want to be dependent on any of these tech companies and ever since then i've been following this 
censorship subject quite closely and, and quite passionately as well. And would you know which country recently came up with a law against to protect citizens against censorship on the internet by social media giants? Australia. Poland of oh, all places. Really, Poland. Yeah. yeah, Poland, you know, like it's extraordinary. Oh, to protect, to protect. Yes, 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 yes. I thought you were talking about one of the worst countries in the world. I was like Australia for sure, because I've been following what they've been doing with social media and it's just been brutal. Yeah, and you would have expected it's the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why it was, I jumped in there because actually I thought you were talking about the other side of it. Yeah, I saw that there was actually news that Poland wants to now leave the EU because they don't like what's happening with all of these types of things, that there actually might be having referendums towards this. And I mean, that's wild. I mean, that's so crazy to think. And going back to our comments about California, if you had told me 10 years ago that people would be fleeing California because it has turned into a totalitarian dictatorship and they're heading to Russia for freedom. I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. I would think that hell would freeze over faster than this would happen. But look where we are today. Yeah, and to add another example to that, so I have always loved California. I've always loved San Francisco. The last time I was in San Francisco was in October 2018. And at the time, I swore myself never to come back because it's turned into such a hellhole of a city. And at the same time, I, before the pandemic, when it was easier to travel, I became obsessed with spending time in Warsaw, Poland, because it is such a safe, clean, sane, pleasant, developing, advancing, you know, positive place. And this is the exact opposite. I mean, you know, if anyone had told me 10 years ago, you know, take a pick between San Francisco and Warsaw, <laughs> you know, she would have just laughed at the idea that you might want to prefer spending some time in Warsaw instead of San Francisco. But as I said before, here we are. And the diagnosis of all this is a bleak one. It, this trend is not going to reverse. It's, it's an irreversible trend in the West, sadly. I think it has to get, get a lot worse before we stand the chance of this turning around. And at least in the next five years, I don't see this getting any better. And that's why, you know, we we need to look at other opportunities and other options in the world. Well, absolutely. I mean, my core business is consulting and helping people to have a plan B, to have some type of a backup, whether that be a residency, a second passport, having your investments overseas, a fraction of your portfolio, international banking, offshore bank accounts, you know, offshore gold vaults, precious metals, all of these types of things. That's the core of my business. And I mean, there has never been a better time to have these things in place. Like, I don't know what else I would have to say, what else you guys would need to see to realize how important these things are now. Yeah. And not just that, it's also easier than ever before. And to come back to Russia and investments in Russia and this whole global lifestyle that you are the biggest proponent of and that you help so many people with, would you have known that the world's biggest digital-only bank is a Russian bank. It's Tinkoff Bank. And if you speak to anyone in the banking industry who's, you know, like um, reasonably well on top of, of trends in the digital-only banking world, they will tell you that Tinkoff Bank is one of the world's best fintech companies. And it's also the most profitable of all digital-only banks. It's growing by leaps and bounds. And if you look at, for example, their investor relations material, they're listed on the London Stock Exchange, you'd be blown away by the quality of the information they provide to investors. You know, just speaking about Russia being a backwards country and it's only old economy companies, it's gas, banks, supermarkets, that sort of stuff. No, they also have the world's most amazing digital-only bank. And it's the stock price is up, I'd say, off the top of my head, something like sevenfold over the last 18 months. It's probably still a cheap stock if you're buying this with a you know time horizon of, of three to five or eight years. Um, it's probably overheated somewhat in the short term because everything that's digital only has been has been shooting upwards during the pandemic. But again, if you're trying to build yourself your personal infrastructure, bank accounts, online payment mechanisms if you have an online business, safekeeping assets in different jurisdictions, having the peace of mind that just because you posted a tweet with the wrong words on it, your bank account is not going to be closed down. 
all that sort of stuff, which seemed ludicrous a few years ago, but is now very relevant. Russia is becoming part of the solution. And there are opportunities on multiple levels, ranging from the investment side to personal solutions. Well, the way that I will look at things these days is that I want to be set up in not just diversification across the world. I'm actually looking at areas of like geographic areas, but cultural areas as well. So I don't actually consider it diversified at all if I have, you know, stocks and bank accounts and currency and stuff in the UK, Canada, the, the States, New Zealand, Australia, these types of places. I mean, for me, that's all one basket. But if I have, you know, assets there, but I also have them in Latin America as a whole, and I have them in the Middle East, in the Arab world, and I have them maybe in Turkey or a residency or a citizenship in Turkey, and I have some other projects in Russia and former USSR, and I have other projects in China, like my listeners know, we own a bunch of real estate in China. Now I start to feel a lot more diversified. It's not necessarily just about countries. It's more about regions. It's about the politics. It's about the cultural. It's about the religion. And you need to look at these types of things as a whole. So from my investing, from where I'm holding my own wealth, that's the things that I'm really working on these days. Yeah, and that goes back to an old story about Aristotle Onassis. Would you know who Aristotle Onassis was? Does that, does that ring a bell? Tell me. He was, he was at some time considered to be the richest man in the world, which must have been, I'd say, the 1950s, probably. He grew up in a part of Greece that was taken over by the, at the time, Ottoman Empire, and his family had to flee. And he fled to Argentina. And he basically made his fortune on the back of, as he always said, he, he spoke eight languages, which he picked up working night shifts in a telephone exchange. <laughs> as you did at the time. <laughs> and eventually Onassis rose to become the, the oil tanker king of those days. He, he commanded the biggest fleet of oil tankers in the world. And because of what his family had experienced with losing everything when, when, when their city was taken over by a foreign power, he then was always rumored to basically have a million dollars in every other country so that if it was confiscated, if his wealth was confiscated in one country, he'd have enough bank accounts in other jurisdictions. And he strategically placed them all around the world because he just never wanted to be a poor man again. He never wanted to start over again. And he grew up at a time when people were still much more aware that throughout humanity, every other generation, many people lost everything. And my grandparents' generation were still part of that if you lived in Europe during the time of the Second World War or, you know, the First World War, hyperinflation, there were multiple instances where people lost absolutely everything. And the only way to protect yourself against that at the time was geographical diversification. And the same is true now. And as you very, I think, very rightly pointed out, there needs to be a cultural diversification as well. You need to take a lot into consideration. Obviously, not everyone has a has million dollars to put into every other country, but for anyone, there are ways how to make this part of your life planning and part of your risk management. And it is becoming more relevant again, because the world is becoming a more dangerous, unstable place with risks that we thought would have long been banished. And they're returning right now. With a vengeance. And they have technology on their side, which is absolutely terrifying. Okay, back to Russia. What are the things that people should keep in mind if this is something that they want to get involved with? What, what do they need to know about the playing field before jumping in? First and foremost, they need to check that their broker can actually buy Russian stocks, for which there are several ways to go about it. So some Russian stocks are traded as ADRs on the New York Stock Exchange. Others are traded on the London Stock Exchange, which is a very international stock exchange. So some Russian companies simply decide that the London market is where they want to have their company listed. It is still quite difficult to trade in Moscow directly. However, there are some brokerage firms that can do that. For example, interactive broker, interactive brokers who are, they are an American firm. They've got 2 million clients around the world. I think they've got a, they're listed on the New York Stock Exchange themselves. Off the top of my head, they've got a 10 billion market cap or something like that. This is not a small brokerage firm. But being able to trade these stocks somewhere in the world is, is the number one key for that. 
it's important to keep in mind that investing in Russia can be as simple and probably should be as simple as buying blue chip companies. I mentioned Gazprom repeatedly. There are a couple of other blue chip companies that are staple investments for anyone who wants to invest in Russia. And I mean, I'm you know, I don't want to battle down a list of names now because that would be misconstrued as a list of recommendations. But to give you an example, Aeroflot, the, the, the well-known airline, that's listed on the stock market. The largest bank of the country is listed on the stock market, the largest supermarket chain. They also since recently have had their local Amazon equivalent listed on a stock exchange. So if you believe in e-commerce and Russia catching up on e-commerce and, you know, home delivery of goods, there's a stock to play. There's a stock that you can easily buy and sell to, to, to play that trend. Don't. There's no need to look at small caps. Just look at the established blue chips and researching them on the internet is a fairly easy thing because it is probably a much more transparent market than, than people think it is. There are some Twitter accounts that are quite interesting with regards to Russian stocks. I report about them um, regularly. So it's it's a fairly straightforward matter, and I'm sure I haven't checked, but I'm sure there's also an, a Russia-related ETF somewhere that people can buy into. Just having some exposure is is important, and it's not that difficult to get it. Well, personally, I always like to try to invest in the local currency. For me, it's not so much diversification if you're just investing in U.S. dollars in the New York Stock Exchange with your Schwab account or something like that. If you guys take a little bit maybe a little bit more work and you can actually find a way to invest there or in the local currency, I think that it is a lot safer and it does qualify a lot more for the diversification angle. Very good point. And you're mentioning, you're mentioning this at a time when the Russian ruble is actually quite undervalued and it's been trending up recently because, and that's actually worth mentioning, I mean, since the Western world is drowning in debt and we're sort of printing a trillion dollars every three hours to keep the show on the road, uh, Russia as a country is almost debt-free. They've got a debt-to-GDP ratio of 15%, which, which counts as basically negligible. And the country is sitting on $600 billion of currency reserves. Putin has learned his lesson in previous crashes, and he is very keen on securing his, his country's sovereignty and his country's ability to act in an independent and, and and confident fashion, and yeah, you know, not not having debt and having six hundred billion dollars sitting in the bank <laughs> certainly, <laughs> you know, certainly adds another angle of stability to it. And the ruble will probably see inflows over the next years, despite all the controversies, simply because it's one of the few places in the world where you've got a reasonably liquid currency that is not going to be taken down by by this insanity of piling debt on top of debt that the Western world sadly is now addicted to and can't find a way out of. Well, and then look at the China and Russia snuggling up close to each other, separating themselves from the United States. Look at all the problems in the South China Sea. Look at what's happening with Taiwan and the US coming in. I mean, we're seeing those relationships become a lot more stretched. So other countries, other superpowers cozying up to each other, I mean, that should show you a lot. And I mean, that is something that I think people need to look at. If you understand that these countries are energy independent, that they're not relying on the states, that they're not relying on the petrodollar anymore, that there's different ways that they're actually transacting in this. It's not being done in under Washington's terms anymore. I mean, as we said earlier, the world is fracturing and we're going to see very big walls I mean, for lack of a better word, whether that be physical, whether that be uh, cultural, whether that be digital, springing up around the world, I think that people need to be really aware of these types of things because it's just not the same as it was. Even 18 months ago, two years ago, like literally everything has changed. Everything that we thought we knew, the direction that we were heading in the world, everything has changed. So pay attention. I mean, I think people really need to pay attention. There's some mind-boggling stuff going on. Would you have heard of this effort on the side of Russia to have its own sovereign internet that can't be switched off? Yes, I've been reading a little bit about it. So, yeah, I've been I've been joking with friends just the other day. I was in Cyprus uh, to a very good conference with other investors, and that was the day for us. It was the evening 
when WhatsApp went down and Facebook went down and, you know, everything went down for a couple of hours. And I was joking at the dinner table. I said, you know, they're switching off the internet now. Tomorrow we'll wake up and there'll be an announcement, the great reset, and we're back to the gold standard, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, everyone laughed and it was a joke. Kind <laughs> of. Now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's not unthinkable anymore. And censorship of content on the internet has been step one. There is definitely a capability on at least the side of some countries to, to switch off parts of the internet. And Russia has been working for years now to make sure that it has its own network that can't be switched off. Russia has been threatened for years with being pulled out of the SWIFT banking system, basically get disconnected from the international banking system. And uh, I, I have to admit, I don't know enough about the technical side of, of this aspect, but Russia has also been working to make sure that if that were to happen, its banking system can still function. And I have to say, this is actually something where I I just have to say hats off to them. And I'm getting interested now in having an account there because with how we were recently locked in and couldn't travel anymore, couldn't even leave our own house anymore, I would actually really like to own bank accounts in jurisdictions that are on the other side of whatever wall is being put in place because it might come in handy at some point. And you have to put these things in place while you still can because once the curtain is pulled down, it's too late. Exactly. And here we are. Exactly. This is exactly what I'm helping my clients with. It's the exact same thing that I am testing myself. And I've been following this exact story for probably about five years now. I had a previous guest named Richard Mayberry on the show, yeah, probably about four or five years ago. And he is an, a brilliant individual and probably one of the people who has had the biggest impact in my life as an adult. And this is something that he's been talking about, the splinter net, for many years on his newsletter. And it is a story which is not being picked up by the mainstream media, but it is something that people should be paying attention to. Yes, and there are probably multiple opportunities coming out of this. I mean, we spoke about tech stocks, and I believe there will be a new trend of tech stocks that sell privacy as a service or, you know, call it individual sovereignty as a service. And I'm looking for these kinds of opportunities as well. That's at least as weird as saying five years ago that um, vegan food is going to be a big thing, which I said at the time, and it was considered very weird. And now you look at companies like Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger and all that. These have become you know, very valuable companies. And I think some of the problems that we've just discussed on this show will be opportunities for some entrepreneurs that are looking for funding in one way or another to, to provide solutions for people like us. And there's a growing number of people like us. So, you know, to, to to add a positive note to all this, there's an emerging investment trend again by those who, who look a bit further down the road and who spot that every problem has an opportunity coming with it. Brilliant. Sven, I love it. Amazing conversation today. Thank you so much for your time. We got to cover so many different topics and I just love the way that your brain works and the projects that you invest in and how you write about them because it is very easy to understand. You don't make things overly technical. I mean, there's a lot of depth to it, but you don't need to have a PhD to understand these investment theses at all. So if my listeners, they want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? So they should use the link that you're providing under the video to my website, but go specifically through that link that you're providing, because that means they're getting some extra goodies, which I'll make sure they will actually get, um, which otherwise wouldn't be available. I'm just doing this you know, between friends and because I know our audiences are very much aligned. Check that out and um, follow me for a while and send me emails if you want to. If you, if you have any questions, I answer to every email personally. And yeah, let's let's all link up and make sure that we can all work together in the different fields that we're in and make our lives more successful and pleasant. Brilliant. So if you guys are watching the video or if you're on the website, then the link should be there. Otherwise, go to your web browser, type in expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued. And Sven says he will make sure those bonuses are there for you. So that's very kind of you. Thank you very much for taking care of my listeners. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mikhail. It was a pleasure. Okay, what a fantastic episode today. I hope you guys got a ton of knowledge, a ton of inspiration. I hope you guys learned lots from this. Now, if you guys have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or anything like this, if you have someone in your life 
ages 8 to 19, and you don't like what's happening in the educational system right now, then my suggestion is to leave. We actually are creating a solution for that. It's called Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. I have partnered with my friend Michael Strong. He was a guest on episode 115 of the podcast. I suggest that you guys go back and listen to that. It is very enlightening. And we're going to be tackling a lot of the problems, not just for the expat space and international schools, but really what is happening in public education. Now, I had a pretty terrible experience in public education when I was growing up. If you guys have been on my newsletter or my podcast for any length of time, you probably heard the stories about this. And you know what? I don't want any other kids to go through the same type of thing that I did. And that's one of the main reasons that I am so passionate about this project. We have kids in the program right now. The program is up and running and the kids are having a phenomenal time. The feedback has been amazing and they're learning so much. And we're actually bringing joy back to school and education again. You've probably heard me harp on schools before. My real gripe is government-run schools. I'm really against these in all forms. But what we've developed here is really, really special. It's based on Socratic thought. There's a lot of dialogue. We're going to be dealing with a lot of entrepreneurial ventures. We're going to be talking about money, how money works, high-level mathematics, reading, reading comprehension, foreign languages. There's going to be a lot of things like graphic design, video editing, how to write a resume, how to build a business, how to do emails, how to do content marketing. We're even going to have special classes that I'm going to teach myself about publishing a massive podcast like we have at Expat Money. So a lot of really exciting things going on. If you guys want to get involved, if you want to learn more about it, if you have a friends or family who might want to get involved, all you need to do is go to expatschool.io. You can sign up for our free newsletter there. We're going to have regular updates about what is happening. And if it makes sense for your family, if you have a child ages 8 to 19, then fill out the form and we'll schedule a call together. And that's it. Go to expatschool.io and we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Have a great day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.